Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Josh Kruger. I'm one of the leaders here at Kingsway. Before I start this morning, I want to ask you if you will join me in prayer. And one of the things we specifically want to pray this morning for is for all that has transpired this week in our country with much violence and much difficulty. And as a church, we have a responsibility to pray for our country and for our leaders. And so let's do that together this morning. Please pray with me. Lord, this morning as a local church in a small city, in a small town, we realize our responsibility as part of this nation and as your children to come and pray for our country. We thank you that we can live in this country, this country where we can be free to worship you, where we can be free on Sunday mornings to get together and not fear persecution, where we are free to live in many ways the, the easy life, the American dream. Father, I pray that you will help us to want to live lives that honor you in this country, that we will be very aware of your freedom, the freedom that we have as Christians, not only to live, but also to encourage those who do not know you to follow you. Help us to strive toward making disciples for you. Lord, but this morning we, we are burdened about what happened this week, about the the shootings that took place in different places of the country and which ended up by this mass shooting in Dallas. Father, this morning we pray for the families of everybody who has been a victim of a shooting incident this week. I pray, Lord, that you will comfort and that you will bring truth and that you will show the light of your gospel to those families. That they will cling to you. Lord, I pray for peace in our country. I pray that this is not and will not be the beginning of more violence in our country. But we pray, Lord, for reconciliation. We pray for reconciliation between nationalities and races. We pray for reconciliation between civilians and police and military. We pray, Lord, that your peace will come and be with us in this country. We do realize that we live in a broken world and that we will always have brokenness with us. But we ask, Lord, will you please bring an end to this? And may there be peace. May we live peaceful lives here. We know, Lord, that you can do that. I pray this week even that you will bring peace where there are more rallies planned. Pray that you will protect civilians and that you will protect the police and the military personnel in those situations. May we glorify your name, Lord, as a nation. But we can only do that with your help. And so we ask for your help. And now, Lord, as we launch into your word this morning, I pray that you will bless the 
preaching of your word and that you will open our ears to hear and understand and apply what you are speaking to us this morning. It's with gratefulness, Lord, that we come to your holy word. We love you. Will you help us now? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Children are by nature imitators. I think you've seen that before, as children like to imitate their parents and their siblings and their teachers, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in not such a good way, but children are imitators. If you're a parent, you know this well, because you've seen your children grow up and imitate you. Think of this. Here's a perfect example of children imitating parents. Think of how many times if you've had a baby, you sat in front of him looking in his face going like, say, mama, over and over. Say, da, da, and it, you'll just do it over and over and over. And one day he gets it and you go like, say mama and he goes like mama and mom just freaks out he said it he said mama and she's on social media my boy said mama he imitated me it's so cool he said mama before dada <laughs> children imitate us they just do that's how they learn so much we learn so much children learn so much by imitating their parents there's even a country song about this Yep, we're going there. Even Africans can love country songs. I think Brittany's going to know which country song I'm talking about. This is a song from Rodney Atkins, and it's called Watching You. If you haven't heard it, go Google it. have to listen to it. It's a cute song about a, a dad and a son that takes a drive to town, and the dad realizes after the son says a not such a good word, and as Dad goes like, where'd you learn that word? And it's like, from you, Dad. And the dad realizes, oh, he's mimicking me. He is, he is definitely imitating me. And so then we get a little later in the song, and these are the words. He says, we got back home, and I went to the barn. I bowed my head, and I prayed real hard. Said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self. This is not great theology. This is a country song. Just this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed and got, on, got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where did you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike, hey dad. I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. That's what children do. They watch us because they want to imitate us. Christians, you and me are called to be imitators. At the moment, we are in Ephesians 5 as we preach through the book of Ephesians. And the first verse in Ephesians 5 says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. 
as beloved children. It's amazing that you and I are called to imitate God, the Father, the maker of the universe, in the same way that this boy in this song and our children in real life imitate their fathers and mothers. We are called to imitate God. And we can be sure that just as we are pleased when our children imitate us in the good things, he will be pleased when we imitate him in who he is. And so we see this call in other parts of the Bible also. In 1 John 1 verse 7, it says, walk in the light as he is in the light. It is a call for us to imitate him. Walk in the light as he, as God, is in the light. We are to mimic him. We are to be imitating him. That same passage in 1 John in verse 5, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what is this talk about light and darkness in imitating? Well, you ask what is this? The Bible uses the word light to describe what is holy, what is righteous, what is sinless, and what is good. Light is, ex is used to explain God and his kingdom. The word dark or darkness is used to explain what is unholy and sinful and unrighteous and bad. It is used to describe Satan and his kingdom. And so we see what God is because 1 John says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the God we are to mimic, who we are to follow, who we are to imitate is light. There is no darkness in him. He is holy and righteous and sinless and good. And so in this morning's passage, which we're going to read in just a second, Ephesians 5, verse 7 through 14, in verse 8, we see one more call to imitate God. In verse 8, we will see it says, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light is a call to walk in a holy and righteous and sinless way, being imitators of God. Because God is light and we are to imitate him. Walk as children of light. And I believe this passage is going to give us three ways if we ask, okay, what does this mean? How do I walk in light? How do I walk as a child of light? This passage will tell us three ways. By not partnering with evildoers. By discovering what is pleasing to the Lord and by exposing sin. Three answers to the question, how do I walk as a child of light? And so please turn in your Bibles, if you have not already, to Ephesians 5. And we're going to read from verse 7 through 14. Verse 7 starts with this, Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So our first how-to for walking as children of the light is found in verse 7, where our passage says, Therefore do not become partners with them. Your, your Bible may say, do not associate with them. This may create a little bit of a confusion, which we'll see later. A better translation is, do not become partners with them. When we see the word therefore, this verse starts with therefore, do not become partners with them. When we see the word therefore in the Bible, when you start a passage and it says therefore, you always have to think, what was said right before this? Because the word therefore says something was just says, was just said that we're now going to continue or say something else about and therefore is an important word it says take heed of what was just said before you read what is now going to be said it is a connecting word it connects a passage that was just spoken to something that will be spoken and we need to go back and when it says therefore do not become partners with them, we need to look what was before, therefore, what was said before, therefore. And so we will see in verse 5 what it says. It says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of obedience. Here's what it says. It says, walk as children of light by not becoming partners with those who are sexually immoral or covetous, those who live sinful lives, because they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, and the wrath of God is coming upon them. It is a warning for us not to associate with them. But we need to immediately clarify two things. The first thing is, who are these sons of obedience? They're called sons of obedience and disobedience. Am I in that category? Because sometimes I struggle with impure sexual thoughts. Sometimes I struggle with covetousness. There is sins in my life Am I in that category? And I think it's clear that this passage this morning is showing that not a single word or thought or a single sinful deed is enough to disqualify us from the kingdom of Christ. Otherwise, none of us would ever qualify. But as we see all through Scripture that those who fall in sin and afterwards realizing the enormity of their sin against the holy God when they realize that in, in humility they repent before the Lord we see that God in his graciousness easily forgives those trespasses 
So the immoral person, the sons of disobedience who is spoken of here are not those people who sin and ask for forgiveness. No, the sons of disobedience here are those people who have given themselves up to this type of lifestyle without shame, without care, without repentance, enjoying this sinful lifestyle. Those are the sons of disobedience. And you and I have to check ourselves frequently. We have to check ourselves and see, am I heartbroken about my sin? Do I quickly run and repent before the Lord? Lord, will you forgive my sins? Or is there a dullness? Is there a dullness in my life against sin, towards sin? Or is there even an enjoyment if you find in your life that you are dull towards sin, oh church, we need to run to the Lord and ask His forgiveness. Ask Him to make us sensitive to our sin. Ask Him to give us hearts that want to repent of our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second clarification of this passage, this passage is not saying we should separate ourselves from the world. It says, do not associate. Remember, that's what one of the, one of the translations say. And that word associate can be confusing because it means, it, it seems like it's saying don't associate, don't befriend, don't ever talk with or have contact with sinful men, men who live in the world. But that's not what it says. John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says it this way. Paul is not prohibiting all contact or association with such people. Otherwise, we could not bring them the good news or seek to restrain them from their evil ways. The Greek word here refers to participation and not association. I think that's important. The, that word refers to participation and not association. The prohibition means do not partner with them. So what this section says when it says do not partner with those, it says do not participate in their evil deeds. Do not become one of them. Do not become like them. And so Paul uses not having an inheritance with Christ and the coming wrath of God as motivations, as incentives for you and me to live the Christian life, to be imitators of God, to walk as children of light. But there's one more motive, there is one more incentive that we see in this passage, why we can live as children of light. And we see it in verse 8 of chapter 5. It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Paul not only is saying don't live a life given up to sin because it excludes you from the kingdom of God and because there's a coming wrath on people who live that way, he is also saying here is another incentive for walking as children of light. Remember what you were apart from God and apart from grace and think about who you are now by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and then live out the grace that has been shown to you. You were formerly darkness and now you are light in the Lord. That's how we are characterized. That is who we are. That is who our persons are. We were darkness. Now we are light in the Lord. When Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, when he left the mercies of heaven and came down to this earth, he lived a perfect life. And he chose to go to the cross where he hung and he died a death that you and I should have died. He paid a penalty that you and I should have paid. And he gave us grace that we never deserved. He took away our sin. He restored us to God the Father. And he declared us righteous. That is the gospel that Paul is saying not only did he take away our sins, not only did he restore us to the Father, but he also transformed who we are. He says, your character changed. You have a new identity because of Christ. You were darkness. You were unholy and sinful and unrighteous. And because of what Christ did on the cross for us, now we are light in the Lord, holy and righteous. What a change that takes place. It does not mean that we don't struggle with sin anymore, but it means that fundamentally, morally, we are changed from darkness to light. And that is an incentive for us to live as children of light because we are not darkness anymore. We are light in the Lord. On the cross, that rugged cross where Christ suffered and where he died, you and I were not only justified, we were also declared righteous and we were transformed from darkness to light. Now live as children of light. This command, church, is not for us to become something that we are not. But it is a command for us to live out what we already are. We are light in the Lord. Isn't it great that we are not called to change ourselves from darkness to light but he said i have changed you you were darkness now you are light walk as children of light not only is the gospel the incentive for us to walk as children of light but it also is the grace that makes possible for each one of us to walk as children of light and here's the result of that when God through his Holy Spirit awakens our souls and we realize what that means, that I was darkness, I was slated 
to forever live separate from God. And He changed me. He made me light. And now I will have eternity with Him in perfect unity. When I realize that, my heart changes. And now I want to live for Him. My thankful, joyful life wants to live a life that brings glory to Him, a life that pleases God. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 10. As we see the second way of walking as children of light. Look with me in verse 10. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul just went through explaining how Jesus changed us from darkness to light. Now he's saying, live as children of the light. How do we do that, Paul? by trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now, our response is to live lives that please Him. Paul is in effect saying, children of light love to live for their Father's pleasure because they want to honor Him and glorify Him. So the obvious questions are, what does it mean to try to discern what is pleasing to God. I started out preparing this message going like, oh Lord, you need to help me. I don't know what to say now. And at the end of the day, I have so much to say that I have to curb that all that I want to say. And I'll say three things about what it means to try to discern what pleases the Lord. First, remember that discerning to please the Lord is not passive. The word discern is an active verb. It's an action verb. It is something we do. And like most other actions, we don't usually do them because they require effort and we are lazy. And so for us to do this, we need to first have an orientation that says, I desire to do this work, this action, this discerning. Humans by nature, we all are extremely self-focused, self-centered, and self-absorbed. We typically do what brings us pleasure. We seek what excites us, and we love to feed what we desire. And so if we are to discern what pleases the Lord, we will have to deny ourselves, and we will have to look and seek and find what it is that pleases the Lord. It's an action, church. It is not a passive thing. Think, think of it this way practically. Think of your parent or your child or your sister or brother or somebody that you love really much and you want to please them. You, you, you live to please them because you love them. Think of what you do. And as I was thinking about my own family, I was thinking of when my three children were little and what they loved. Riette, who always wanted to only wear a dress that is kind of big, and when she twirls, it needed to She loved when I sat with her and drank fake tea from a cup this size, sitting on a little chair that only half of me can fit on with two teddy bears for company, and go like, ooh, this is lovely. 
it pleased her because when I did that, when I sat with her, it showed her that I loved her. You nay, I could please her by doing anything active. As long as there's running or kicking or throwing involved, she was happy. It showed her that I loved her. Josh, anything that was outside, fishing, hunting, playing outside, pleased him. But here's a better example. Karen loves to love our family. She is an example for me of how it is to desire to please. She often desires to please me by thinking of what is it this evening that I may love for a dinner and she will make it for me. She's very quick to pick up when myself or one of the children are kind of off and then to encourage us in the Lord. She is always on the lookout for ways to please. She will walk into a store with the mindset of what is in there, a $5 brand name sweater that she knows she can buy and send to Josh or Lisa in Namibia that they cannot find there that will bless them, that will please them. This is on her mind. She thinks, she doesn't, it, it has become nature to her that she thinks this way. She thinks of how can I please my family. It is because her attitude towards us as a family is, I want to bless them, I want to love them, I want to please them. So how do you and I discern, try to discern what pleases God? We love Him. We pursue him, and as we get to know him better, we will learn ways that we will please him. A second way that we can please God, or a second thing I want to say is this. God has given us many, many clues, church. The Bible is not silent about what pleases God. And as I started searching, I was surprised about how many verses in, in the Word speaks about this. So I picked four random verses. Colossians 1 and verse 10 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. One verse, three things that pleases God. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 3. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So when we pray for our government, we, we pray for our leaders and intercede for them, we are pleasing the Lord. Here it is in, in His Word. Hebrews 13 verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 20, 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And folks, there are so many more scriptures in in God's word that tells us what pleases the Lord. What grace that we are called to try to discern what pleases the Lord. On the one hand, he says, try to discern what pleases the Lord. On the other hand, he says, read my word and you will find out what pleases me. Third, if you are a Christian, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that you have placed faith in him and you live for him and not yourself, remember, church, that you have God's Holy Spirit living in you. And God's Holy Spirit was given to us as a helper The Holy Spirit is God. He is one of the Trinity. He is God that lives in us. He is the one who helps us. And He will help us discern. If if we have a heart that desire to please God, to live lives that please God, the Holy Spirit, when we ask Him, will help us to discern what it is that pleases God. Remember that you have, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit living in you. You can ask him, and he will tell you. As you read God's word, he will reveal to you. So does this all sound like a bunch of do's and don'ts? Answer is yes and no. I gotcha. Yes, because we have to be active in trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We have to be obedient to what we find out. So when the Hebrew says, share what you have, because this is pleasing to the Lord, I have to share what I have before it is pleasing to the Lord. So there is a responsibility. When it says, children, obey your parents, this is pleasing to the Lord. Children have to obey their parents to be pleasing to the Lord. So yes, there is a human effort in pleasing God. The answer is also no. Because remember that this call to please God, to share what I have, to be obedient, is not a call that is inconsistent with who you are as a Christian. Light in the Lord. This is not a call that is inconsistent with who you are. Light in the Lord. Pleasing the Lord should be a natural outflow and desire of my heart because I am light in the Lord. And then listen to this grace, church. Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't it amazing? We are asked to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. But as we try to discern, God is the one who will, who both will in you and work in you for his good pleasure. What amazing grace he gives us. One of the greatest changes in my life, I would say the greatest change in my Christian life, became when I stopped reading the Bible and stopped living the Christian life with me in focus. For many years as a Christian, I read this Bible. 
I read it through the lens of what's in it for me. I wanted to see what blessings I can claim, what healings are in store for me, what prosperities are on the horizon. It was all about me. Until one day, God started opening my eyes and I realized what I read in here is not all about me. What I read in here is all about Him. It's all for His glory. And so I think I read the Bible for years trying to see what pleases me in God's Word. And when God changed that in me, and I don't do this perfect, but when He changed that in me, now I can read His Word and I can see, how can I get to know Him better? How, do, how is He revealing Himself in this piece of passage? He's, he's written, he, His story is written all over this Word. And as I read it now with, with the lens of seeing God, oh, that is reading in a way that is seeking to please God. If you read the Bible often with the lens of what, what does this say for me? What blessing is in here for me? I want to ask you to ask the Lord to help you to, to have a change of mind, to start reading this word, looking intently for God revealing himself on each and every page of our Bible. And that will be pleasing to the Lord. A third and last way of walking as children of the light is found in verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. So there's a double response we are called to here. The first one is, Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness. This obviously links arms with do not participate partner with them, which we talked about in point number one. The other way to walk as children of the light is by exposing the unfruitful works of darkness, which is shameful even to speak of. And I want to start with what this is not saying. What this is not saying is every time that you see your sibling or your coworker or your child or anybody that still lives in darkness, every time you see them sin, that you will expose them by telling all your friends, we need to pray for so-and-so. Let me tell you what they do. This is gossip. This is slander. This is not pleasing to God. Nor is exposing sin, nor should exposing sin be trying to fix somebody by constantly reproving, constantly chastising, constantly correcting them. You hear I use this word constantly because we do have a responsibility to chastise, to correct, to reprove. But we need to do this in a redemptive manner rather than in a condemning manner. What do you mean, Josh? Well, it is seldom that when, when somebody is constantly being reproved, reprimanded, and chastised with the focus of, I want them to change, it is seldom effective because usually that is void of grace and it is done in a condemning way. And when people feel condemned, they feel unworthy to be loved by God. And they will actually turn away from God. 
more likely than to God. Remember that someone who is in darkness, someone who does not yet follow the Lord, cannot change by themselves. And you correcting them cannot change them. They need the light of the gospel to shine into their darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, when somebody is in darkness, the gospel is veiled. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And our exposing sin should be in a way that we pray, ask, Lord, will you do for them what two verses later in verse 6 says you do? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we expose sin, this calls us to expose sin. When we expose sin, we do so in a manner that shows the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. We, we, we show the cross. We, we speak of how God desires relationship. We speak of what he has done, his redemptive work on the cross. It is a loving and gracious thing to make much about God and the gospel when we expose sin. And not try to fix by exposing, constantly criticizing. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But in this passage, there is a sense of exposing sin, not by our words only, but by the way that we live. It says, walk as children of light. And so first, when... When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Verse 13 says this. When anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. This makes sense, right? You walk in a dark room, flip the light switch, expose it, and it becomes visible. I can understand it. This is important for us to know that light exposes sin because sin lives in darkness. It is hidden in darkness, and when the light of God shines in the darkness, it makes that sin visible. Then when exposed sin is seen for what it is, self-seeking rebellion against the holy God, then we can ask God to bring an end to that sin. But verse 13 also says this. It says, anything that becomes visible is light. Now, in physics terms, that's not true. A table in the middle of a living room, when the light shines upon it, that table does not become light. But in spiritual terms, what Paul is seen here to describe a result that says that the light actually transforms what it illuminates into light. It says that the light of Christ when shone onto sin and it illuminates it, it 
will turn that sin to light. And so Ligon Duncan says it this way. He says, this may mean that Christians who lead a righteous life, walking as children of light, thereby, by that life, restrain and reform evildoers. Yes, and even convert them. For as their light shines, what it makes visible suddenly is light. Plain English, Josh. This means that as you and I walk as children of light, by not partnering with evildoers and their unfruitful work of darkness, by learning what pleases God and by exposing sin by pointing to the cross and our gracious Savior. The light of God will shine through our lives to illuminate and to expose sin in the people's lives who still walk in the dark. And as the light that shines through us exposes that God in His mercy may bring illumination so that they may see the deeds of darkness in their lives and also conviction that they may repent of those sins in their lives and start to follow Christ. That is what illumination of a life devoted to Christ can do. Ending with this. If you and I are going to live lives as children of light, we will look very different than the world. And we need to test ourselves, church. We need to look at our lives every now and then and say, do I look different than the non-Christians I work with, I play with, I go to school with? Because if we are children of light, we need to look very different than children of darkness. And if we don't look different, we need to examine and ask God, why do I not look different? Because I do not live as a child of light. Living as a child of light will probably not win us any popularity contests. The world hates it. Because the light of Christ illuminates their darkness and shows the sin that is so part of them. So you may be scorned, you may be judged, you may even be hated when you live a life devoted to Christ, walking as children of light. But we're not called to live lives pleasing to men, are we? We are lived to live lives that are pleasing to God. And so we do it. We walk as children of light. And if we are scorned, we remember that Jesus was scorned even more. And if we are mistreated, he was mistreated more. And if we are persecuted, we remember that he was persecuted even more. And so we do it for his sake. We live and we walk as children of light for his sake, for his glory, to honor him, to glorify him. And as we live that life, we ask him to transform not only those in darkness, but also us as we live to honor him. May God use your life
And may he use my life in such a profound way as to let his light shine through us to affect the world around us as we walk as children of the light. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the call that we see here this morning to live as children of light. And we realize once again that without your mercy, we will not be able to do that. But because you, Lord, on the cross has changed our character, because once we were darkness and now we are light, that call that call makes so much sense because it is a call to live out the mercy we have already received. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for everybody in this church. I pray, Lord, that you will affect their lives in significant, meaningful ways so that they can start and I can start living lives that honor you, glorify you, is pleasing to you, and that you will use our lives, Lord, for your light to shine through us and to affect the world that we live in for your glory. So, Lord, we cannot do that, but we ask you to do that in us. Help us to walk as children of light. In Christ's name I pray, amen.